All right, let's go to the Bible now. Joshua chapter 10. If you found that, why don't you stand and we'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. By the time we get to Joshua 10, God's people are on the move. Israel, they're in the land. They've walked over the river. They now have walked around Jericho. It has fallen. Ai has fallen. A city named Gibeon saw all that was happening and made this false treaty, tricked them into it. But Israel, being who they are and the God they serve, they're sticking by their promise to this town named Gibeon. However, the rest of the kings in that area have decided they don't like what they're hearing about this new people that have come into the land. So they coalesce together and they come after not Israel, but Gibeon. Gibeon says... <laughs> Wait a second. So they call on Israel. Hey, we need y'all to uh, stick to your promise. And so Israel goes to fight for Gibeon. And they get there and God does this great victory and brings us right into the famous passage in verse 12 where the sun stands still. Pick up with me in verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on all their enemies. Is this not written? In the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set out for a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus you would help us today. These are your people that walked in and many have had the worst week of their lives. And now the Lord's Day starts another week and we need hope. God, we need your, your spirit to give us hope based on your word as we look to Jesus, your son. And so I pray you would help your people today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. You may be seated. The longest day. The longest day was a movie made in 1962. It came out as a docudrama, starring some really big names of the time: uh, John Wayne and Richard Burton and Henry Fonda. The Longest Day chronicled the 1944 Allied invasion of Normandy. We know it as the monumental battle of D-Day. It was the largest amphibious invasion in the history of warfare. It's uh, forever memorialized by Ronald Reagan in his speech about the boys at Point Du Hoc. And the thousands that gave their lives... And, and for those who live to fight again, that day was indeed the longest day. 
But as monumental as that day was, it pales in comparison to what our God does for His people in this passage. I mean, honestly, the text before us is amazing. It, it stretches the very bounds of credulity. As God listened to the voice of His servant Joshua... And here's what the text says. Now, there's a lot of debate. I've read a bunch of commentaries on this, and some want to say it was an eclipse, or there was haze, or it was a cloudy day. But if you read it for what it says now, God listened to the voice of His servant Joshua, and He stopped the earth rotating on its axis, thereby genuinely giving us the longest day. Now this should not surprise us. Miracles, that's what God does. Couldn't do miracles, it wouldn't be God. This is not the first time that God has acted on behalf of his people in Joshua. I mean, you remember how they got into the land in the first place. They crossed the river that had been pushed back and water stacked up and they walked on dry ground. The very first battle that they were a part of wasn't a battle at all. They circled a city and the walls fell in. This is not the first time God has done a miracle. But this miracle we're going to look at today in chapter 10 is different than the others. Those other two miracles were, were initiated by God. God says, go up to the river, I'll stop it, you can walk across. God says, go to Jericho, go around it, I'll bring the walls down. That's not how this miracle happens. Those other two were initiated by God. This miracle is God responding to one man's prayer. God listened to one person's voice and fought for His people because of it. Now, what I want to do in the next few moments that we have together... I want to get your mind and your heart off of lesser things here on earth. And just for a little while, I want to talk to you about God. And I want you to see from this passage how our God, your God, fights for you. And, and when we walk out this morning, I want you to walk out of here uh, with, your, with your faith strengthened, with your with your heart encouraged, with your mind set on God. Now, there is a temptation to misuse this passage. It has been misused a lot. It, there is a temptation to take this text, Son, stand still, and make it say something that it was never intended to say. There is a temptation to take it and make this passage say something about you. And if you'll pray hard enough and believe hard enough, and if you'll put your faith that's strong enough, then God just might do something like this for you. But this passage is not about me and you. This passage is about God. Adrian Rogers, the great Baptist preacher of another age, who had a voice uh, like no other, uh, you hear Agent Rogers preach, and if you're a preacher, it just makes you want to turn your Bible in because you know you're never going to be that good. 
Adrian Rogers said that this is the most abused passage in the entire Bible. But this morning, we don't want to stand over this, this story of the Bible. We don't want to stand over it and try to put ourselves in it. What we want to do is stand under it, and, and, and we want to drink deep of the truth that's found here. So what I want you to see this morning, I want you to see that our God, our God loves His people, and He fights their battles. Or if you're in Christ, I want you to see that our God loves you, and He will fight your battles. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to do two and two. Uh, I thought I had, well, I started out with six points, took it down to five, and then I thought I was preaching five, and I got to the end of my sermon last hour, and it's actually four points. So let me give you two absolutes. Two, <laughs> maybe somebody else wrote this sermon. Two absolutes. Uh, two absolutes and two promises. Let me give you the two things that are absolutely true. Number one, here's the first one. Number one, God absolutely comforts his people. Your God is a God that brings comfort to his people. Now to see that, you take verse 1, you, you run all the way through verse 1 up to verse 8, and the punch of it is at verses 7 and 8. But to understand verse 7 and 8, let's just sort of go through the context of chapter 10, verse 1. You can just kind of skim along, starting in verse 1, and there you've seen this, this king of Jerusalem, verse 1, Adonai Zedek. You might have heard of Melchizedek, mentioned in Hebrews and Genesis. Melchizedek is the king of righteousness, Adonai Zedek, Lord of righteousness. We don't know who this person is. This is before Jerusalem became a Jewish place. And all around Jerusalem are these other cities. There are four of them. And these four cities and kings had heard, five cities and kings, had heard all that God was doing with Israel. And more specifically, you find it in uh, verse 1, they'd heard that how the inhabitants the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and now were among them. And everybody in that region, the promised land, feared greatly. So this king of Jerusalem calls all his friends at the neighboring kingdoms and says, we need to get together and take care of Gibeon because they are traitors. They're now with Israel. Remember, Gibeon has that treaty with Israel where they said our, our bread is crumbly and our shoes are worn out and our clothes are worn out. We came from a far distance. Let's make a treaty. And Israel does. And so the kings around, the, the cities around Gibeon have decided to make war on Gibeon. Gibeon rings the alarm, calls up Israel and says to Israel, you, you can't. In fact, you'll find it right there in verse 6. The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country. They've gathered against us. So now we're into action. Get into the story in verse 7. So Joshua went up from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. Slow down. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear. That's not the first time that God has said that to Joshua. These are words of comfort that He speaks to His people in times when they're walking over into battle. And the thing that you need to hear is God saying over and over in the Bible, Do not fear. 
It's the very first thing that God said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 as they were walking into the promised land. It is an old promise. Now that's important to think on now. This is not a new promise that God has given Joshua. This is an old promise. This is exactly what God keeps saying to His people every time we walk into some battle. Look at the way God comforts His people. It's important we see that. This is the way God comforts His people, not by unveiling some new truth that was previously unknown. I got a video last night. Someone sent it to me because they knew I would be irritated at it. They sent it to me. There's something going on in Nashville called the Nashville Outpouring or something that it is a group of people that have gathered together and they're worshiping and they're, they are speaking new truths. It's an apostolic movement that, that a, a man stands up with a microphone and says, I have a word from the Lord and, and says some sentence and then afterwards says, thus says the Lord. And it's some new revelation. Brothers and sisters, we, we, don't, we don't need new revelation. You've got God's Word in your lap. You have it right there in front of you. We don't have unknown truth waiting on God to reveal. That's not how God comforts His people. What He does is not new truth out there. He takes us back to the promises that He's always made to His people in the Bible. Promises that He's already given in His Word. Each old promise, and if you're a child of God and you're redeemed in Christ, each old promise from God in the Bible, it takes on... I get, my goodness, some of, you, some of you know this all too well. It takes on such significant meaning based on the circumstances we're in. We don't need new truth... We need old truth that is freshly applied to our current situation. That's why we approach the Bible like we do. It's why we approach discipleship like we do. It's why we do a wana like we do. It's why we start a foundations class. It's why a preacher stands up here is going to talk about the Bible. It's because there's the truth, and that's where we need. That's what we need to minister to our hearts. This is how God ministers to His people. I mean, it's true. It's true that God's mercies, look, God's mercies are new every morning. God's mercies are new every morning, but His promises are as old as God Himself. Some of you had the worst week of your life. There's a young couple that uh, Connie and I are friends with in Mobile, Alabama, at our old church, Dolphin Way Baptist Church. I say young couple, you know, as you get older, the idea of what young is, it gets older as well. Used to be 20s, now 30s and 40s. And, you know, if you're in your 50s, you're probably still pretty young. (laughs) Young couple named uh, Stephen and Daria Wilson, he had COVID and got the strain. You've seen it. Sometimes it seems random that it hits so hard that you go to the hospital and sometimes... I mean, we watched it unfold. She posted in social media and Connie talked to her. And first he was having trouble, then it's pneumonia, then it's intubated, respirator. And then Thursday, the 
I mean, the text that kind of got was Stephen is, is now with the Lord. Now, when you're in that, when that's where you are, you're not looking for new promises. This is why we say something like, that God is close to the brokenhearted, that's, that's from the Bible. A, a bruised reed he will not break and a flickering candle or wick he will not snuff out, that's in the Bible. But when you say, I'm praying that the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your heart and mind in, in Christ Jesus, that's in the Bible. Those are the words that are going to bring comfort to your soul and strength. It's going to put, going to put resolve in your backbone. It's, it's the Bible. So for, for, for every grieving, for every worried parent, for every hurting mother, for every frustrated teacher or anxious brother or, or whoever you, you are, you should know that right here, what does God do? God absolutely comforts His people. That's an absolute, an absolute. Let me give you another absolute. I think you'll see it uh, in verse 8, number 2. That is, God is absolutely sovereign. That's a, good, that's a good truth to hold on to now with all we're walking into in life. And especially in the next, I think, 5 to 10 years as a Christian, it's good for you to just be reminded God is in control. God is in control. Go back and read with me in verse 8. Notice what the text says in verse 8. So they're on the march in verse 7, verse 8. This is what the Lord says. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man shall stand before you. Now, you tell me who but God can speak like that. God speaks in past tense about a future event. I have given them to you. Now, be careful when you talk about divine sovereignty. Oftentimes, you hear people talk about divine sovereignty, that God is in absolute control. And you should know, I think that when I think sovereignty, I mean God is in absolute control of all things. When you talk about divine sovereignty, that does not in any way negate our effort. It doesn't negate our responsibility. In fact, divine sovereignty, the more you think about the sovereignty of God, the more confidence it gives to you so that you can live out your responsibility. God's sovereignty energizes responsibility. Let me show you where I get that. Verse 8, God says, I have given this to you. Okay, it's already done. You get to verse 9. There is a whole lot of effort that goes on in verse 9. Let me show it to you. So Joshua came up, Joshua came upon them suddenly. Here's how he did it. He marched all night from Gilgal. Verse 8, God says, I have done it for you. Verse 9, Joshua and all the people are in a forced march. I ran a 5K yesterday and a little bit out of forced march. A forced march. It is a monumental, if you read that, it's probably 20 miles, maybe 8 or 9 hours marching in the dark. They had to work hard for the victory that God had already given them. God provided the victory. They still had to go to war. When you and I think about salvation, so when we think about what God has done for us, that salvation is given to us 
by sheer grace. It's a gift of God. The finished work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners. God has raised him from the dead. He's exalted as Lord. And that is a, is, a, is a finished work of salvation. We are saved there. That salvation then is applied by believing, by faith. It becomes yours when you believe it. So salvation is a finished work. But our sanctification, you think about you growing as a Christian. It doesn't just happen. You don't sit back with your life in neutral and let God sanctify you, even though it is God sanctifying you. How does He do that? He does it through disciplines, through hard work, through agonizing prayer. Some of you fasting and thinking and fighting off temptation, resisting Satan, going through hardship, standing under struggle and doing it in a, in a Christ-like... Sanctification is hard, although salvation is by grace. One of the... One of the greatest comfort, one of the greatest comforting truths of the Bible that we need to keep preaching to our own souls, keep clinging to in the days ahead, is the absolute and good sovereignty of our gracious God. This is important. This is vitally important. In fact, I think um, some of you know the name R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul and also the ministry Legionnaire. You find really good resources there at Legionnaire Ministry. R.C. Sproul said it best when he said, if there is even one molecule in the universe, if there's even one molecule in the universe that is running loose outside the control of God's sovereignty, then there really is no guarantee whatsoever in the future promise that God has for His people. In other words, God is in complete control of every molecule in the universe. God's sovereignty, maybe a better way to say it, or at least shorter, God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty is the track on which the train of our efforts run. Look, this is why we trust and pray. This is why we endure. This is why we can hope. This is why every broken-hearted Christian sitting in this room right now, this is why every broken-hearted Christian can live and keep going because we know that it's joy that comes in the morning. Because we know that God is good and, and God is absolutely sovereign. God is, He absolutely comforts His people and He's absolutely sovereign. There's two absolutes. <clears throat> Two absolutes, and now let's turn to the two promises. Let me give those to you. Here's the third point. Number three, and the first promise, that is that God fights for His people. What a great truth that you find in this passage. You'll find it in verse 10 and then verse 11. I want you to take, um, take, just take a look at verses 10 and 11, and let's go to the actual battle as it takes place. When you read verse 10, notice how God is presented to us as a warrior. Now, there's some of that language. You, you, you want to be careful with it. <clears throat> but there's some of that language that we need to reintroduce into our understanding of God. Some of you remember the song that um, Shailene and Matt Papa came out with, The Lord is a Warrior. I used to love that song. It's probably where I got this title. Uh, but it's good for us to remember that this is the picture of, I mean, if you don't believe that, go read all of chapter 10. 
God is going to take those five kings and Israel will catch them, put them in a cave. They'll come back, get them out of the cave, put their feet on their necks. Then they'll kill them, hang them, and then they'll bury them. And God is, I mean, God is moving and giving the land to his people as a warrior. Look, look at it in verse 10. And the Lord, through them, that's all those kings, threw them into a panic before Israel who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azakah and Makedah. Now, now look at verse 10. It's written in such a way that it sounds like Israel is doing it, but actually it is God doing the throwing. And then in verse 11, look down what happened in verse 11. Then in verse 11, he throws hailstones on top of them. Look at, I mean, verse 10, God, God threw, God struck, God chased, and then God struck them again. And then verse 11 says that uh, they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran. The Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. Now look at the commentary. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. I mean, get the picture now. First, I thought it was just these giant stones dropping out of the sky. Then we're, you read verse 11. It, I mean, can you imagine what Brad Panovich would do with this? What you see on Twitter, giant hailstones big enough to knock a man down and kill him, falling out of the sky. And the, the editor is, is quick to tell us there were more people killed because, because of the warrior God. That this victory, the writer is making sure you understand, this is God doing this. That the victory is won by God. I mean, here's a vision when you read it. It's the vision that God fights for His people. We, we need to... We, one of the things that we don't have is a good catechism. Spurgeon had a Baptist catechism. We used the New City Catechism once before. But the catechism is a, is a question and answer. Psalm 24, verse 7 and 8 is a catechism when the psalmist says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted on up ancient doors. Why? That the king of glory might come in. And he asked the question, Who is this king of glory? He is the Lord who is strong and mighty, the Lord who is mighty in battle. And some of you just need to be reminded that the battle is the Lord's. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls his sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus, slave. Jesus puts it back on and he tells Peter, don't do that. Don't you know that if I wanted to, 12 legions, 100,000 angels I could bring? He'll fight the battles. In Joshua chapter 10, God has thrown the enemy into a panic and then he destroyed them with giant hailstones. We're reminded of what the psalmist said in, in Psalm chapter 2, verse 4, when if you go back and read that psalm, verse 1, the nations are raging. Verse 4, the psalmist says, but he who sits on the, the throne in heaven, he laughs at them. You know what this does, honestly? This helps you not to worry. This gives you the ability to trust tomorrow that's you struggle with, with some form of anxiety, you can, the, the, the bigger your, your thoughts of God's sovereignty, the more that's going to bring that temperature down. 
This makes it so you don't have to panic. This makes it so you can, you can endure some of, the, some of the things you're going through. All of this reminds us that our God fights, fights for us. You can get to the end of the chapter in verse 42 when jo- Joshua had captured all the kings and their land. At, why? Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. The battle is the Lord's. That's one promise. I'm going to give you a second promise. This is where the sun stands still. Second promise, last point. God hears. Here's the promise. God hears His people. Let me take you there to the poetic retelling of the battle. The battle is verse 10 and 11. The retelling of it is in verse 12, 13, 14, and 15. And notice how the, the writer gives us some editorial comments there in verse 14. Let's start in verse 12. Here's the poetry. <clears throat> At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. And then here comes the editorializing. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? That's a book that's mentioned over in Samuel and Kings 2. We don't know where that is, but evidently it was a book that was, that was uh, there at the time. It had been documented in another source. The writer's saying, okay, I'm not making this up. It's somewhere else. Is this not written in the book of Jashar that the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day? Now pause and read verse 14. There has been no day like it before or since. Look what he's amazed at. Not the miracle. There's been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought. For Israel. The writer's not amazed at the miracle. Miracles, that's what God does. I mean, God did that when he brought them into the land. God did it around Jericho. God is in the miracle business. That, that's nothing new for God. What he is amazed at, what he didn't expect, is that God heard the prayer of one person. You see, the power of prayer is the power of God. We oftentimes talk about prayer warriors, but the truth is we are not prayer warriors. There is one warrior. It is God. We call on Him. So we pray in in, in faith. Think about faith now when you think about a strong faith. Look, the value of faith has more to do with the value of faith has more to do with what the faith is in and not the level of your intensity. We, we want to put the value in what the faith is in. I mean, we talk about uh, we are saved by God's grace. God's grace is what saves us, that grace given to us at the cross. But that grace is appropriated by faith. Salvation is not dependent on the intensity of the faith, but the measure of grace. Faith is how we receive it. When we pray, we should be praying with people. You see it in verse 12. There in the text tells us that the, the writer says that Joshua stood there in front of everybody. They heard it in the sight of Israel, and he asked God. We're told that Joshua prayed in the sight of Israel. How encouraging it is for, to know that someone is praying for you. How much more encouraging is it 
for you to actually pray in the hearing of that person. We should pray. I mean, he's, he asked for an outlandish thing here. We should pray clearly. We should pray directly. We should pray outlandishly, asking God to do the impossible. And the text says in verse 14 that the Lord heard. Look, brothers and sisters, our God, our God loves his people. If you're in Jesus, let me say it directly to you. Our God loves you and fights your battles. Now, this morning, as we bring this sort of down to uh, an end, a close, I'd like for us to reflect with just a couple of questions. So why don't you join me just in a moment of prayer? Would you bow your heads with me and, and pray as we close out the time of the sermon? Just sitting where you are, I want you to just think with me. Think for a moment. What right now, September the 5th, what is your biggest battle? We all got them. You may have more than one. You personally, what is it? Will you, where you're sitting right now, would you just give that to the Lord this morning? You may have to whisper that to, give that to God right now. Take a deeper step in. What, what is causing you the most heartache? Get it in your mind. Now, give that to the Lord. Right now, would you just say to God, Lord, please take this as yours. Okay, let me talk to you just personally. What, what is the sin that keeps you from growing? What is it? Could be an addiction. It could be something you've struggled with for some time. I, I just want you, God hears his people now, give that to the Lord. God fought our worst battle at the cross of Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross and took the wrath and punishment of God, and because God raised him from the dead, any sinner that trusts that is not only saved, but becomes a child of God, and now God fights your battles. This morning, in a few moments, we're going to sing, and when we do, if you'd like to come and just symbolically just say, Lord, this is yours. I give this over. I give this, this battle back to you. Or if you'd like to come and talk to a pastor about, about how you can become a child of God. Our pastors are around here, and if you don't catch them here, catch them in the lobby and talk through what it means to give your life to Christ. Father, thank you for your word that is good, for your comfort that is real, for your sovereignty that we trust in. Now, Lord, minister to the hearts of your people. Be honored here among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.